This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. We're ready. Okay, well, tonight we have Daniel P. Uh, Daniel, take it, take off, man. Tell us your story. Okay. Yeah, welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you, David and Darcy. Darcy. Yeah. Triple D's D's right here. Yeah, Yeah, Daniel, David, and Darcy. Triple D's. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is cool, man. Uh, Yeah, so, yeah, first of all, I just want to say, you know, it's super cool that you asked me to come. And, uh, you know, I just would like everybody to know that everything's about timing. Mm -hmm. And so, initially, you had asked me, you know, a number of months back, probably about six months ago. Yeah. And we, you mentioned December was open, and mm. then, you know, I, I didn't really get back to you in time. By the time I did... It's a busy time of year. Yeah, the timing was gone, right? Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, randomly, I just reached out to you. It was in the back of my mind because yeah. I saw you a couple of times, and, you know, I just said, okay, I'll, 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 I'll message you and see if there's a, an opening date because mm. it was something that I was interested in doing. Yeah. And as, it, as, as fate would have it, there was a cancellation that week, mm-hmm. and here we are. And actually, it was the same day. Yeah, like the cancellation was just like like minutes before I messaged you, because I, I had seen you. you at the meeting, right? Yeah, yeah, you messaged me. I messaged sorry. you, but it was like I seen you at the meeting, and then I thought, okay, something's happening here, and I hadn't heard from the from the original guest at six thirty. Yeah. So okay. what I did was I just sent a quick message, and they they were like out. So which is cool because they have other stuff going on. Yeah, but then you messaged me within minutes. I, I don't know, I can't remember how many minutes, but you messaged me within minutes. Yeah, and I was like. All right, okay, it's time for you to come on. Okay, yeah, so it's meant to be. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, so, you know, like, uh, that's kind of like, for me, the, the, the fact that it, it played out that way mm-hmm. is a testament yeah. to the fact that I'm supposed to be here right now, mm-hmm. you Agreed, know, and yeah. neither one of us kind of designed for it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that being said, I should have my ringer off. <laughs> it's all good, man. Yeah. It has a little flavor. You know, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> total rookie move. Um, yeah, so you know what, like honestly, so just real brief, you know, I'll just give a little sort of autobiographical information to start mm-hmm. with, you know. Uh, I was born in a, in a country called Eritrea, Northeast Africa, okay. back in 1970. Yeah. Uh, I'm a cancer. Uh, my family fled Eritrea because of a war. Okay. Uh, so at the time, there was uh, myself, a brother who's a year younger than me. And another brother who's a year younger than him had just been born. Mm-hmm. And so my dad took off because of the political situation, made his way through Ethiopia. We followed with my uncle. Uh, eventually, we ended up in Nairobi, mm-hmm. in Kenya. 
and uh, we were there as you know refugees, and then eventually, 1980, my family immigrated to Canada. Oh, okay. You know, and so uh, that part of the story is important just because uh, displacement through politics mm -hmm. is a part that has shaped my family and my culture. Oh, yeah. And also, I think when you are stripped away from a place where it's your DNA, your mm -hmm. ancestor, as a child, you don't understand what that means. Mm -hmm. But later on in life, you get to really come to terms to grips yeah. with what your parents, the sacrifice, you know, the displacement that they face, the Jeez. decision in being torn away from everything that they know, making mm -hmm. that decision away from family, away from culture, away from language, away from their country, yeah. everything just for a chance for their kids to have mm -hmm. a better and safe life. Unbelievable, man. You know? Yeah. And so I think as, as addicts, mm -hmm. part of our whole identity crisis mm -hmm. is that we don't fit in. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a common thread that I've that, that I've learned in recovery is that Very much. addicts, alcoholics, uh, we don't fit in. We have a sense, you know, we're not comfortable in our own skin. Mm -hmm. So I think fundamentally that part of my life, I'm sure deep down has a contributing factor mm -hmm. to a certain degree. You know, and uh, I grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Okay. Which is which is really weird, eh? Because you, you like come from this this place that's like torn up with war and strife and then you end up in Saskatchewan like how do you reconcile Saskatchewan to Africa like right yeah and again <laughs> and that's one of those things where you know it's really cool when you think about it the fact that a the reasons the the, the, the reasons why that took place in the first place is out mm. of conflict yeah but then to come to a place like Saskatoon and have the life that my parents have provided for us mm -hmm. The life that they've been able to build through hard work, mm -hmm. coming here with nothing, into a society where a lot of people have these stereotypes. Can People in Alberta and Calgary have stereotypes about what it must be like to, to having grown up in Saskatoon. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, what a wonderful place to grow up. No doubt. What a wonderful place to grow up. What a great place for my parents to get there with four kids to feed. Mm -hmm. And through their perseverance, hard work, sacrifice, mm -hmm. they were able to build a really good life for themselves and for us. Yeah. And I can measure that up against other people, mm -hmm. other relatives that immigrated, let's say, to some place in the States, mm -hmm. bigger cities in Europe or even Toronto. Yeah. The outcome is very different, even really? though they're people cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Their mom and dad were cut from the same cloth as my mom and dad, mm -hmm. same values, same work ethic. Yeah. But they didn't have the life that we have, mm -hmm. you know? So Saskatoon was a great place to grow up, right you know? On. And so... And Canada in general, man, what a beautiful country, super peaceful, yeah. politically stable, you know, Up in my opinion, the, the richest country in the world. Yeah, for lots right? of reasons. 36 million people put yeah. a fence around this country, we can get by yeah. without anybody. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah, and so, you know, I think for me, uh, really the active addiction part of my life mm -hmm. started at the age of 14. Okay. So I grew up in a pretty disciplined family. Uh, my dad was really strict, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, there was physical consequences for discipline, okay. right? So that part of the story is important because fear comes into how I related mm -hmm. and, and functioned as, as an individual, especially through, through, yeah. uh, through constructing that, 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 that life in active mm -hmm. addiction, right? So grade nine, at the age of 14, was the first time I ever drank. It was mm -hmm. alcohol. It was the first thing I used. Yeah. 
and I was with a buddy of mine named Mark who uh, I used to wrestle against and he got into his parents' liquor cabinet. They were mm-hmm. away at the cabin. He's a guy that I used to skateboard with a lot. Yeah. And we drank a whole bottle of wine. I got super drunk, puked, passed out, woke up and wanted to do it again. instantly again. Isn't that something, man? It's the first time. That's something. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So I loved it too right away. I, inst- lo- I loved like, it. I came yeah. out and I was like, yeah. let's get another bottle. Yeah. You know, so from that moment, I cannot recall one instance in my life where I've had one drink mm-hmm. or one of anything. Of anything, yeah. It's always been go to yeah. get annihilated, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, until the moment of surrender from the age of 14, I got into recovery at the age of 34. Mm. So the disease had 20 years of active progression. Yeah. And I literally burned my life to the ground. Mm. So as I said... If you measure up the family that I came from, mm-hmm. the push towards education, yeah. every family has problems. Mm-hmm. Everybody has issues. But in active addiction, even from the first time I drank and partying just primarily on weekends uh, in high school, drugs didn't even really come into the picture until I was like in grade 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was always hidden from my family. Mm. always hidden from my family. No no drinkers like your parents didn't drink or none of that? My stuff. dad drank. Yeah. Okay. But like not an alcoholic, but like... Like a normal it, person. Yeah, we were not allowed to drink. Yeah. And I like, I was raised Catholic. And then, mm. you know, after grade eight, I moved to College Park and I went to a public high school. Mm. And I remember seeing all these kids when I started playing soccer with them in grade eight, drinking. Mm. And I was like, how the hell are these kids allowed to drink? Yeah. Because it was so forbidden for me. Mm. And then it started for me. And like, yeah, a lot of them, their parents in high school knew that they drank. Very often, they would have parties, but their parents would rather have it in their home, contained, knowing what their kids are up to. Not a chance for me. Yeah. You know, the first time I got busted, I was uh, 16. Yeah. We had won provincials for soccer. And uh, our coach had a party for us at his house. And I came home, passed Mm. my curfew, wasted, and my dad was waiting up for me. Oh, man. He, he drove right back to my coach's house. Yeah. You know, and what was the discipline? I was grounded for two weeks. And the my favorite thing to do at that point, I, I'm a passionate soccer player and mm-hmm. a fan my whole life. But we used to go from Saskatoon. We used to come at the end of August to the Calgary Invitational Soccer Tournament every year. Oh, okay. And it was the weekend that I looked forward to the most my whole, in my whole growing up in my yeah. teenage years. My dad said I couldn't go. Oh, shit. You know? Yeah. So that's kind of the relationship, the mm-hmm. dynamics that existed between my father and I. And yeah. so it was like, okay, that type of experience taught me, mm-hmm. okay, you got to have secrets. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Right? They can't find out about yeah. certain things because there's consequences. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, really, when I look at it, um, I was only seeing it through the lens of my own perspective. Mm. And so, you know, my father and my mother, obviously they have their perspective based on how they were raised, you know? So yeah, did I, I think you start constructing your own reality and your own choices Mm -hmm. that go against the values that are really part of who you are. Yeah. And we don't know that at the time though. No, I'm 16. You think you know. (laughs) Yeah. You think you know everything. But you don't know shit. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, in, as a simple example, had I listened to my parents, mm-hmm. 
more often than not, yeah. I would not have had created the problems that I did in my life. Yeah, that's a good point. Myself, I would have, for yeah. sure. A lot of the things that my mom and dad asked me to do, mm -hmm. had I done them, the trajectory would have changed. Much different. Yeah. But then it, that would have required being not self-centered. Mm -hmm. You know? That was a lot to ask at 16. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> yeah. is, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, those are just early examples of really, and then, you know, and so, and I think a big part of it, when I talked about earlier, you know, that identity crisis of not fitting in, um, you know, here I am, high school, especially, you know, as a teenager, you're trying to fit in anyways. Mm -hmm. You have your own personal challenges as an individual coming into, you know, who you are. Mm -hmm. But then you're always measuring yourself up against your peers. Yeah. You know, all these rich kids, that let, you know, they get allowance for taking out the garbage once a week. Yeah. You know, where we do chores for days, way more, <laughs> and there's no allowance. Yeah, yeah. you're you know? literally doing them every day. Yeah. yeah, and they're 16 and get to drive their parents' cars whenever they want. Mm -hmm. They get to come home at 1 in the morning, and I have to be home at 10 o'clock, and yeah. I never get to drive my parents' car. You know, so you just like, you're always measuring yourself up against, mm -hmm. and it's a duality of existence, but it's natural that you measure, you know. Of who's around you. Who's yeah. around you. Of course. And then what the realities are, it's very different. Mm -hmm. And so you can't wait to get to a point where, you know, you get to determine your own call. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, that, that part of it was really, you know, so for me, for example, I went to a really preppy school, mm -hmm. you know, all the kids wore the best stuff. I had a paper route since grade five. Yeah. I had jobs all the time. You know, I bought my first Armani shirt in grade nine. Wow. Right? Yeah. You know, but because, you earned it. Yeah, I earned it. But still, it was like, it was something to measure up, to mm -hmm. fit in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and you don't see it that way, but that's what it is, yeah. right? And so, you know. You're just trying to be like your buddy, right? That's like, it. Really, you know, and then you leave it. high school, you get yeah. into university and a little more freedom. Mm-hmm. So I get to start really doing what I want to do, yeah. right? And then, you know, uh, you know, living on your own for a couple of years. And, you know, and I come from an African culture where my parents want you to take advantage of the fact that you don't have to worry about rent. You can live with them, get mm -hmm. educated. Yeah. And then here, all my friends are moving out at the age of 18. Yeah. And getting, you know, and it's like, I come from such a strict background. It's like, no way am I staying home mm -hmm. because I want that freedom. Yeah. You know, and that freedom gave me the chance to party as much as I wanted, you know, and it was go time. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, university, like, honestly, the first couple of years, there's not a Friday or Saturday that I wasn't blackout drunk, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and then the drugs came into the picture. You know, I think for me, uh, it's important to say that cocaine came into the picture at the age of 21, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and uh, my addiction and the choices that I was making were already creating compromises and issues with my ability to complete my education, for example. Yeah. And then... Um, what were you studying? I was studying international studies. Oh, okay. A major in political science and minor in economics. Okay. You know, but uh, I managed to make a mess of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, was, there was a, I, I studied that stuff because I was interested. I've, yeah. I've always been a, a student of history and, and politics. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I studied it. But I partied too much. You know, and those are glaring problems, but mm. no, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, you know, that, that trajectory continued. And then, um, you know, I tried opening a restaurant cause I was into food, but I really didn't know what I was doing. And 
I look back now through the work that I've done in recovery and not venture failed because mm -hmm. of drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Like the blueprint was there, the vision, the ideas, mm -hmm. the hard work, the ethics to put it together. Um, my father lent me some money. I had two other friends that were partners, you know, but I look back now. Yeah. And the sole reason that I was not able to see that through mm -hmm. just like a lot of other things in my life. Yeah. The pervasive one pervasive pattern has been really good at starting, mm -hmm. never finishing. Yeah. Never finishing, never finishing. Mm -hmm. And never, ever, ever understanding or seeing the fundamental problem mm -hmm. was the booze and yeah. the drugs. It was the addiction. Yeah. But denial is one of the mm -hmm. cornerstones of that foundation, of, of that course. belief system. Yeah. Uh, justification, inability to accept personal responsibility, mm. finding things outside of myself to blame. And there's always lots of that. Yeah. And then yeah. feeling like a victim. Yeah. God, man, it's like so pathological, hey? <laughs> it's it crazy. really is, man. Right? Yeah. And I mean, I, I could get into specifics, but no, really not to, no, no need to travel back too much. But like, mm -hmm. those were pervasive themes. And, you know, and I knew deep down, I'm like, you know what? I'm messing this up. I'm creating my own problems. Mm -hmm. I said I was going to do school this year. Yeah. Why am I not finishing it? My parents aren't cool with this. And the one thing was, you know, all that stuff, the, even though they knew there was problems in my life, because yeah. why aren't you finishing school? Why is there debt piling? Why are, there, why are we getting calls from mm -hmm. the creditors? Uh, why can't you maintain relationships long term? Uh, why don't you have a car mm -hmm. for a long period of time? There's all these things externally they can see they know me they know who i am they yeah. brought me into this world yeah and i remember one up. thing my mother used to say to me all the time she would say there's something wrong with you hmm. they didn't know it was the drugs and the alcohol because i never showed it to them yeah they never ever saw that stuff like i would never go home if i smoked a joint yeah ever you know it'd have to be hours later visined up mm -hmm. never show up drunk you know what happens if you show up drunk? You don't get to go to Calgary for a soccer tournament. Yeah. I learned that at 16. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they never, ever saw it. So in a sense, you know, that was like more, uh, just a, a level of an indicator, A, of I think a, an element of fear, but mm -hmm. an element also of respect. Yeah, that's but what I'm saying. it also was a way to cover up my shame yeah. because my mother would always go, hey, there's like, do you need to see a psychologist? Why can't you see things through? What the hell's going on in your life? So they don't see. There's this other construct. Yeah. They just think it's like empty and they don't understand why. Yeah. They know you're fucking up because yeah. they, they, they see the consequences. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're saying, well, look at where your friends are going. Yeah. Look at the trajectory of everybody's life. How come you're still here? Excuse after excuse after excuse. Mm -hmm. Never to say, well, because I'm partying my ass off. Yeah. They never got to see it, but inherently they know there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I also re recall whenever my mom would say that to me or my dad, because there was also a big part of it where my ego had constructed this whole sense, false system of beliefs Yeah, where literally one of my sentences was people who don't get high are into a static state of reality. They just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Me and my people, mm -hmm. my tribe, 
we're into a dynamic state of reality. Mm. All the squares just don't get it. Yeah. And, but I used to think to myself, I wish my parents would really know who I was mm. when I was in my, my alone. Yeah. And really feel the party was over, but I'd be like, you know, and even having those painful conversations where shit would come up and they'd be like, what's going on with you? Mm. There was so many times where I'm like, I wish they would know who I was because there's two of me. Yeah. There's the one that I show them. And then there was the addict mm-hmm. that they never got to see that I lived with. Yeah. Did that drive you nuts sometimes when you were with your family? Like the, the duality of the brain, like w- wanting to be somewhere else. This was my thing, right? Like I wanted to be somewhere else when I was with my family because I never wanted them to see it. Right. Just like yourself. And so there was that like basically tearing myself apart every time I was there trying to keep my sickness at bay. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's something we can both relate to. And, mm-hmm. you know, and a perfect example of that is, uh, you know, I tried to, I'd lived in Montreal for a while, for a couple of years. Yeah. I moved to Calgary, you know, the geographical fixes, mm-hmm. right? I'll move somewhere else. I'll start fresh. Yeah. Okay. It'll be better there. You know, yeah. I have all the intention in the world, mm-hmm. but never ever able to see it through because the same beast is there all the time. Yeah. But I remember like even before I moved away, and my friends that really taught me a lot about drugs, mm-hmm. that got me into the drugs. I hung out with older guys. Uh, a lot of them were rich boys. Mm. You know, they had a lot of freedom to do whatever the hell they wanted, but they were addicts. Yeah. You know, but I didn't know that. I just thought they were the coolest guys on the planet. But very often, a lot of them would move to California or Vancouver or somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know, come home at Christmas. So that very point that you're talking about, that duality of existence, when those, when the friends came home at Christmas, mm-hmm. it was time to go hard. Yeah. And it was like, it was like the excuse was, yeah, you know, we're hanging out. It's good to see my friends. I don't see him all the time. I, see, I haven't seen him for a while. Yeah. We would go hard. Mm-hmm. But having to be with your family was an obligation. Mm-hmm. Everything had to be turned off on the 24th to go to Christmas mass at midnight. Mm-hmm. The 25th, you do Christmas, Boxing Day, bro. And we used to throw legendary Boxing Day parties in Saskatoon. Mm. Yeah. I mean, from then on, New Year's, you're not spending with your family. Yeah. You just go hard. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. I remember going, like, and it was almost painful. Like you said, there was a painfulness because your mind was preoccupied. Mm-hmm. Like with, constant. Yeah. You, you were just thinking about the party. You know, yeah. this was obligatory. Yeah. And they didn't have a clue. They really didn't. And you that know, was the whole point. You know? Yeah. And so um, the secrets and, you know, and then eventually, though, I think, you know, so that whole false belief system that I'm living mm-hmm. this really enlightened spiritual where I'm seeing higher level shit, higher right? level shit. That's right. <laughs> higher level shit. <laughs> you know, and I, the reality is, what did it lead to? Mm-hmm. At the age of 34, two years in a row of finally starting to get the, the life really falling apart. Mm-hmm. No contact with my daughter for years. Oh, man. Uh, my dad, my mom is sort of the forgiver. My dad doesn't forgive easily. Yeah. So he had drawn some hard lines. And, uh, you know, a guy who'd never been arrested all of a sudden in the last two and a half years of my addiction tons of arrests 
uh, finding myself in places going, how did I get here? Yeah. Homeless for the last eight months of my active addiction, mm -hmm. 21 charges pending, mm -hmm. you know, but in a really lonely, painful place because I knew I was so far away from who I was supposed to be. Yeah, no shit. And like in those times, in, you know, last couple of years, I really yearned for my family. Mm -hmm. I wish I was around my dad to listen to him. Yeah. And all those conversations growing up mm -hmm. were haunting. I bet. You know, so you have all these people that love you and you love. Mm -hmm. They became self-constructed demons yeah. that you couldn't face. That, that fueled my mm. addiction. Yeah, because we were of the shame, right? Like, I couldn't face yeah. them. I wanted to stop for a long time. Yeah. How do I face people who I have hurt so much, mm -hmm. who are an intrinsic part of who I am? Mm -hmm. They're my DNA. They form my ancestry. I'm not yeah. just me or my parents. I'm everything else that came before. Mm -hmm. And I was so far away from that. And it just filled me with so much fear, shame, and guilt. And literally... It doesn't make sense, but they literally became demons I couldn't face. Mm -hmm. And so the wow. only way I could live with that viewpoint and those feelings was to just keep using. Mm -hmm. You know? So, yeah, age of 34, as, as I said, you know, homeless eight months, 21 charges pending. And, you know, one day after sitting in remand for three weeks, um, I got out, tried to stay clean for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I got out of re a remand center and was wholeheartedly invested mentally, emotionally, mm -hmm. and spiritually in stop, not going out and using. Yeah. Previous to that, it was like, I can't wait to get out yeah. so I can use. Yeah. You know, for the first time, I was like, this needs to stop. So that lasted three days. I stayed with an ex-girlfriend of mine. God bless her. And uh, I made amends to her later mm -hmm. on in my recovery, somebody that I used to live with in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. and uh, And then, yeah, I was like, you know, I started feeling ashamed because I'm staying at her house yeah. and I've got no money. So, okay, I'll call one of my dealers. Mm -hmm. I'll get some dope. I'll sell it, you know, get going. Yeah. Of course, that led to a five-day relapse. And then I don't know how, but I ended up at a payphone. Mm. Called my mom and dad. Yeah. And uh, I remember my dad picked up the phone and he's like, what the hell do you want? And my mom said, let me talk to him. She told my dad to hang mm -hmm. up and uh, I just said, I want to come home. Mm -hmm. You know, and the next day, my brother and my and my cousin uh, drove me to Saskatoon. All right. That was, uh, I think, March 2nd. So March 3rd of 2006 was my first day clean. Yeah. And I haven't used since. Right on, man. You know? Yeah. Good for you. So that Saturday, I get driven home. By Monday, I'm in detox. Mm -hmm. And I get to live with my mom and dad for a year. Um. Monday, March 6th, I, yeah, I got into detox in Saskatoon and, uh, you know, came out, got assigned a, you know, a counselor at the day program through addiction services there, mm -hmm. all publicly funded, thank God. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, signed up to finish my degree for May and then I, my parents, I was so, I'm so lucky because I literally had a contract to sign to live with them. Yeah. Curfew paychecks to my dad yeah. i got 40 bucks a week for coffee and cigarettes <laughs> yeah um you know there was just all these rules oh a meeting every sunday one of my brothers was living in new york at the time yeah the other one was living in uh vancouver and i have a deaf brother who still lives with my mom and dad okay and uh so every sunday 6 p.m we would have a teleconference to check in on my recovery oh wow <clears throat> so 
you look back at that and it's like, wow, I did stuff where I should have been disowned. But what a connection with your family though. Yeah. Right? Like unbelievable. Yeah. I would not be here without them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like I'm 100%. And I know like people go, how do you, how did you do it? Or how do you do it? I'm like, well, you know, besides the whole recovery process in the program, I'm so blessed to have the family yep. that I have. Cause I know a lot of people don't have families. Yeah. You got that right, man. Yeah. They come from other, you know, situations and backgrounds mm-hmm. of serious dysfunction, abuse. Like some people just don't have family. Yeah. Yeah. So and they're better off without it. Some yeah. People. Some yeah. of them for sure. Yeah. You know, but I was lucky. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about being on my own. I didn't have to worry about paying rent. Mm-hmm. I literally removed myself from all the environments yeah. that were part of my addiction and I got to a safe place. Yeah. Back with your family yeah. with, with roots, right? And yeah. What a serious system of accountability imposed on me. Unreal. And I didn't understand the value of that until mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. So you just turned 14 then. Like well, yesterday. Three days ago, four days ago. It was my clean date. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Happy birthday. Yeah. You know, and so I think, and, and like an important part of that part, part of it, like the, the family part of it mm-hmm. is that like, it was really so liberating for all the masks to come off. Mm-hmm. For them to finally, for me to finally say, yeah. this is what's been going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an addict. Yeah. I've been addicted to drugs. Like they know who the real Daniel is. Yeah. They always have. Yeah. They're waiting for him. They're waiting. Yeah. Right? And you know. And so as sad as addiction is, I think the real sadness is for me is if it had killed me, yeah. if I was rotting in jail, yeah. if I had lost my mind forever, yeah. lost beyond reparation or recovery mm-hmm. in a functioning, fully present sense that I am today, yeah. that would be really sad. Mm-hmm. So I'm so blessed, bro. Yeah. So grateful, right? Yeah. Because I have all my faculties. But in all of it, my family knows who I am. Yeah, that seems like the most important part too. Like they know who I am. Yeah. And they're no longer a bunch of self-constructed demons for me because they've never been demons. Yeah. That was a complete construct of my disease, Mm -hmm. my own perspective, my own decisions, my own fear. Yeah my own lack of responsibility, my own running away, mm-hmm. running away, running away, running away. Always cut and run, cut and run, yeah. cut and run, cut and run. It's like that acting as though we have no relations, right? Like, and I mean, that I can relate because my family's the same, man. They're so good. Like, I would not be here without mine. Like, no question about it. Yeah. But it's like that, that connection to, you mentioned it though. It's like the ancestry, right? Like when you, when we look at the palm of our hand, it's not just our hand, right? We have a lot in that palm. You know, just like there's lots coursing through our veins of, of like, and I mean, you're obviously your parents are probably a couple of the toughest humans on the planet, right? Straight up. It's without question, man, to be able to do the trek that they did with the, with your whole family. Yeah. Um, there's no question about it. They're tough humans, right? Yeah. Like, and what a sturdy place to have to go. Yeah. It's, like, it, it, and that's it. I mean, honestly, yeah. So that's I sense probably, your gratitude. Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to comment. No, on no, no. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think like that. That was a critical piece of the foundation for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember my brother's like, you know, third or fourth day in detox. My brother, who was in New York at the time, sends me a playlist. Mm -hmm. 
you know, on, on disc, right on, you know, on a disc, on a disc, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, but all for those songs, people out there that don't know what discs are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. but he sent me songs that we grew up loving. Yeah. You know, there was a song by the champ called, I remember specifically the first song he put on there was Daniel by Elton John. I'll just, get out. Uh, dude, just, um, I cried. <laughs> I bet you did. I bawled for days. Right. And then yeah. he had another song on there called Thickest Thieves by the jam, which is a, a, an English yeah. band that we both loved. Yeah. You know, but it, it talked about being thick as thieves, him and mm -hmm. I, you know? And so, and then, you know, that, that whole, the meetings every Sunday, like mm -hmm. who gets that? Seriously, man, that is unreal. Who gets that? Yeah. That's who, wild. Who gets their whole family taking Sundays at six o'clock for mm -hmm. a full year to have a teleconference? Every Sunday for a year. Every Sunday. Yeah. And then. That's amazing. You know. A really critical part of the story in that sort of dynamic was um, after about two and a half, three months, their pink cloud started wearing off. Oh, yeah. My pink cloud, you know, because yeah. everybody was so relieved that I was there, safe, yeah. you know. But then in these meetings, their anger starts coming out. Mm -hmm. And I'm still so sick and self-centered in my perspective. I'm like, why are they screaming? Why is everybody so angry at me? Can't they see that I'm doing so well? Mm -hmm. And I remember going to a meeting on a Sunday night at my home group, which is called Eagle's Nest. Nice. Yeah. And uh, there's some cool meeting names. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I actually have a tattoo that says Eagle's Nest. For really? Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I go to the meeting and I get asked to share and I take the meeting hostage. Mm -hmm. I rant about poor me, my mm. family's getting mad at me, they're so angry, like they, you know, yeah. self-pity, self-pity. My, my sponsor happened to be at that meeting. Oof. So, good, good time. Yeah, so he says to me after the meeting, um, what's going on? Let's go for coffee. Mm -hmm. So we go for coffee, he lets me just go, 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 go. And I'm just like completely self-absorbed, unaware. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like bewildered by the fact that my family, how dare they, they target and just mm -hmm. be all this rage coming at me. Yeah. So he let me go on probably for 30 to 45 minutes. And then he's like, you done yet? Anything mm -hmm. else? No, I'm good. One question he asks me. So did you stop at all to think where all their anger towards you came from? Mm -hmm. Boom. I bet. Literally, the most important moment in my recovery mm -hmm. was that question. I got goosebumps, man. That's a good question. <laughs> For the first time in my life, yeah. honestly, I think up until that moment, I stopped to think about the consequences, mm -hmm. like the full impact and consequence of my actions on my family. Yeah, kind of how it impacted them, eh? Yeah. I caused all that anger. Mm. I was never around to face the music. Yeah. They were carrying a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that moment, honestly, like it was the first real shake up out of that self-centeredness. Yeah. And it facilitated the opportunity to be able to sit there mm -hmm. and just go, okay, I know where this is coming from. Yeah. I may not like it, but I'm going to listen. Mm -hmm. And it's not about me. They have a right to let their rage, to direct mm -hmm. it at me. Yeah. Because I hurt them. Yeah. Like it was a really pivotal moment in my recovery. Yeah, no shit, man. Yeah. That's a powerful thing. You know? Yeah.
to yeah. be able to sit there and take that 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 criticism, right? And that anger about what you've done is, it's a powerful place to be, right? Yeah. Because transformation happens from that kind of gutting. Yeah. Right? And I mean, it was, it was, you know, and that could have been like, I mean, I could have ran out and said, fuck them. Yep, totally. You know, so thank God for that man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank God for his wisdom. Yeah, no doubt. Because how many people do just run out and say, fuck it? And you know, like the wisdom that he had to yep. hear me out in that meeting and have a conversation with me mm -hmm. after. And really, it changed the entire ball game for me. Yeah. I could see that, man, because that's, that's a powerful moment. Yeah. Right? When we're directed to actually mirror back what we did. Right? It, you know what? Honestly, like, you got it much quicker than I did. It took me, like, literally six years for my parents to get through all the bullshit in my head and, and touch me with how they felt during my time. But I also think, I mean, every, every, every situation is different, but mm -hmm. I think for me, I was living with my parents, man. Yeah. So At the age of 24, yeah. I was with them. We were talking every day. Yeah. So I think you got past that discomfort. Like it was, yeah. it was in my face the whole time. I, I, I had the, it's, it's the privilege of being able to face all that stuff probably a lot quicker. Yeah. Very a much lot so. quicker. I think it just accelerated some, like mm -hmm. that conversation that I just talked about. Yeah. I think, yeah, had I not been living with them, who knows if that circumstance Happens. and that pivotal change, you know, the, the, all the right variables for that moment to take place yeah. may have taken another three years. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then to have the sponsor that I have, yeah, you know, who's a guy that I actually has a tattoo of the fellowship. Yeah. And I used to, before I asked him to sponsor me, I used to be like, what a loser. Yeah. What a loser. <laughs> yeah. I'll never do that. 13 years later, I get the same tattoo. <laughs> I love it, dude. You know? Because I, I love recovery because we're always eating our words, man. Always. Like always. Always, yeah. always, always. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The ability to eat some humble pie. Well, yeah. And we're doing it all the time. Yeah. Because right? we're wrong so many fucking times. Pardon yeah. my language. No, 100%. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of what early recovery looked like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so moving forward, you know, I think like the first three years I was really deep into the fellowship there. And then I moved to Calgary for five years to chase money. And in not the best ways mm. through all of it. Yeah. And uh, so I would, I completely disconnected from recovery. Like mm. it wasn't done intentionally. Yeah. But it happened. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, no meetings once in a while. If I stuff was if I was getting crazy enough in my head, yeah. I would go to a meeting. I always knew to go there, mm -hmm. but no service work, no sponsoring, no talking to my sponsor, no doing step work. Literally five years, mm -hmm. completely disconnected. Yeah. And then life created me with situations where uh, mm -hmm. the ego was rampant. The thinking mm -hmm. was completely back to the old way. And things happen in my life where I had to get humiliated to, to, get, mm -hmm. to get humble yeah. and to really surrender again. And I think it's and a how long was that in when you were in? Year eight. Year eight. Eight years, yeah. eight years clean. Yeah. So I think that's a different kind of surrender. Yep. When you're in a process of recovery and you're living clean, but you're not an active addiction and you're not using and you're not numbing anything. Mm-hmm but you know better 
Because you're also being like maybe dishonest or some other side stuff. Oh, yeah. lots of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots yeah. of dishonesty. Yeah. And I think it's a greater sin, if I may call it that. Mm -hmm. At least in active addiction, yeah, you were out of your mind. Yeah. Literally. You had to be. Yeah. yeah. Disconnected. Mm -hmm. You know, impaired by yeah. chemicals. What was the excuse? In year three to eight. Yeah. Me. My ego. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah. And uh, in year nine, really surrendering in, in a serious way. Mm -hmm. In a serious way. Again, you know, as a matter of just looking at your life and understanding that you're not in a good place and you really need to commit to your recovery again. Mm -hmm. And going back to the basics and, uh, you know, also... All those things that were given to me, the, the fellowship, the, the steps, the blueprint for living, my family, all the people that helped me along the way for nothing. Mm -hmm. And then a big part of this thing is to give it back. Yeah. So I got what I needed. Mm -hmm. Screw giving it back. Yeah. Super self-centered. And then, you know, so surrendering again in year nine and, you know, moving back to Saskatoon full time and... Uh, you know, going back to Eagle's Nest and just kind of watching for a year. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, you know, and my ego getting it out of the way because I saw, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I have to talk about, you know, in life, we, in, in, in doing re recovery, working through the steps, we really got, get to find out who we are. Yeah. Through the inventory process, you find out your, your, your deficiencies, you mm -hmm. find out what your strengths are. Yeah. And for me, uh, you know, I've got good leadership skills. Mm -hmm. I have good organizational skills. I have, I'm, I'm a creative person. Yeah. I can make things happen. I, I'm, I'm good at bringing people together. Mm -hmm. um, and it was interesting when I moved back there to just sit and watch because my old home group was still there. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty dysfunctional from an organizational perspective. Very few members. Mm -hmm. And my ego just wanted to jump in and go, I can fix this. Yeah. But it was like, no, dude, chill out. Mm -hmm. Watch. You know, and waiting for the opportunity to come. Yeah. And a year later it came, a bunch of positions were up, mm -hmm. and I was able to influence that process by, by resorting to the literature yeah. and having a fair process and getting a chance to be secretary and treasurer for the group mm -hmm. and really helping to turn that group around and, yeah. and to give back and, and, you know, and to be present. Uh, and I was doing it for myself because I was going crazy. Yeah. You know, there was things in my life that my mother was going through cancer mm. uh, and she's fine now. Right on. You know, but there was a lot of things that were taking place um, that required that surrender. Mm -hmm. And being able to serve got me out of myself. Yeah. And then also I started seeing that, man, I have, I have, I have a message. Mm -hmm. I have recovery. Definitely. I have a program that I've come back to and there's other individuals that are coming in that keep coming to me. Yeah. Not for my money, not for my good looks, not, not for any bullshit, mm -hmm. but because I'm carrying the message mm -hmm. because I'm in an, in a meetings all the time because I'm doing yeah. service because I'm on the front lines mm -hmm. and they're looking at me and saying, I want you to help me in recovery. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, Quite a turnaround, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so, in the last few years, it's been about really just, uh, A, maintaining a sense of urgency, mm -hmm. uh, 
practicing, 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 practicing. Yeah. You know, and uh, using my strengths where they need to be used. Yeah. Taking a step back and letting other people yeah. have a part of the process when I need to. It's good to know the balance, eh? That's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And just without, and it's, it's you know, it's interesting now, like, looking, you know, I moved back here about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've had a chance to sponsor some amazing guys. Yeah. And in this moment, understanding and the way my life has played out, especially in the last year and a half, really, really coming to grips and and comprehending at a deep and fundamental level that everybody that comes into my path in recovery that I think I'm helping that comes to ask me for help. Yeah. In no uncertain terms, those individuals are put in my path, mm-hmm. even in lessons that I'm trying to help them go through the struggles yeah. that are coming up in their lives. The principles that I'm trying to help them with are the very ones that I need to have at the forefront of my consciousness. Yeah. And none more so than in the last year and a half has that become so clear. Really? Hey? So clear. Yeah. What was, what's something that's different about the last year and a half for you? Um, Okay, so I'll give an example. Because I'm seriously a fan of recovery. Like, yeah. I am such oh, a no, fan no. Yeah. of so the process. I think, you know, we talk about intention. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I talked about moving to Montreal, for example, mm-hmm. in my early 20s, yeah. having all the intention in the world that I'm going to change my life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop doing thing, you know, doing what I'm doing, and I'm going to start yeah. fresh and, and, and get back to who I am. Mm-hmm. And not having a an ounce of measuring up to that, to that intention because I'm living in active addiction. Mm -hmm. So this year, the last year and a half to two years, a really critical part of intention has been, um, through practicing prayer and meditation on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. So, isn't it one, life-changing, dude? It's mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, and so one of the individuals who takes most credit for that is a guy that I started sponsoring about six years ago mm-hmm. who is, teaches me so much about discipline, mm-hmm. practice, commitment yeah. to prayer, meditation on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. If it's for two minutes a day. Yeah. Just to stay committed. Mm -hmm. He instilled that in me. Mm -hmm. Watching him. Yeah. Having the interaction. Yeah. Without him, I wouldn't have the degree of application and commitment and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and practice that I do with my prayer meditation. Yeah. With my yoga without him. Yeah. With another guy that I've been sponsoring for a couple of years. In his first year walking, comes into recovery, and then going through a seriously painful semi-dissolution of his relationship mm-hmm. with his with his significant other. Yeah. And having so much trouble mm-hmm. accepting it because mm-hmm. it's painful. He doesn't yeah. want his family to go apart. Yeah. Um, surrendering to it. Yeah. Getting out of the way. Mm. And I can't relate to that experience. I've never been married yeah. and have a wife that says to me, I don't want to be with you anymore mm-hmm. while you're in recovery. 
Yeah. And so I know th through leaning back on the steps and mm -hmm. the programs, because we're going through the steps yeah. and the principles that I've been taught in my life through, through, through the 12 steps, to try and get him to walk through that painful process through as much grace as possible, yeah. as much surrender, as much to get him out of the way to accept a very painful situation for mm -hmm. what it is, not to try and control it. Yeah. And this is me just walking him through it. Yeah. And then lo and behold, I get to a place in my life where I'm ready for a relationship. Mm -hmm. mm. And guess what? Yeah. Compared to three, four years ago, five years ago, I've had a couple of really good relationships that I've messed up. Yeah. Because I was looking, I was too controlling. I couldn't accept. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get out of the way. Yeah. But walking through this stuff with this guy mm -hmm. put all these lessons and principles at the forefront of my consciousness. Yeah, they do. And all of a sudden, I'm entering a new relationship with somebody. Mm -hmm. And guess what I get to practice? Acceptance, mm -hmm. getting out of the way, <laughs> yeah. not trying to go for a certain outcome. Yeah. And that's a direct consequence of being in a place mm -hmm. where I make myself available to be of service. Yeah. If I'm not there, mm -hmm. I don't bump into that guy. I don't get those lessons and I don't get to put them into a meaningful and positive way. Almost immediately. Immediately. Yeah. 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 I wasn't there in years five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Mm-hmm. Year thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. Get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> Get out of the way, man. Yeah. Let people be who they're gonna be. Mm -hmm. Understand that whatever your significant other, your friend, mm -hmm. not calling you back or maybe not doing they got their own shit going on. Yeah. Can you entertain that? Yeah, I know. Lots of people can't. Right? So, you <laughs> yeah. know what? I can, I, can, I can practice that. Yeah. I can entertain that to, a, mm -hmm. to an ongoing and progressive degree mm -hmm. because I've got people in my life in recovery yeah. that I think I'm helping walk through those lessons. Mm -hmm. But guess who needs that shit? Yeah. You know, and so with the intention, um, I did 38 sweats in my first year. That's a lot of sweats in a year. Yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy. Um, so as far as spirituality is concerned, sort of in a... Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm just looking at him because he flashes me the time every once in a while. You know, in a direct way. But he's just dicking around now. The... the <laughs> dicking around, eh? That's all he's doing now is dicking around. Darcy's dicking around. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, man. It's okay. No, so... Um, the... In a, in, a, in a really sort of like... I, I said I was raised Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. I don't practice Catholicism. Yeah. My mother's faith, my father's faith, mm -hmm. kept me safe and alive for a long time. Their yeah. prayers kept me safe when I was disconnected yeah. from my higher power. Yeah. But the most powerful and relevant way that I practice, like a really committed way of spirituality that makes sense to me, is mm -hmm. through the sweat lodge ceremony yeah. with the with the indigenous people in, 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 in this country yeah and I've, I'm lucky I have some really good relationships with Aboriginal men and women mm -hmm. that are based in recovery yeah um, and so my in my first year mm. a detox my third day in Monday Tuesday the Wednesday yeah our spiritual counselor was this woman named Eileen 
So she says, uh, she tell us that day, well, call the treatment center, which where which was where I ended up going. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was going there at that yeah. point. It's my third day in detox. She says, yeah, they go, they do a sweat every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And it's an option for us. If you want to go, they'll pick us up and we can go. I'm like, anything to get out of here. Yeah. So I go <laughs> no to doubt. sweat. Yeah. And uh, the other is a guy named John Cuthand. A few weeks later, I didn't know that Eileen and him were husband and wife. Mm. I get into Calder Treatment Center. Yeah. He's a spiritual counselor there. Every Wednesday, it's an option to go for a sweat yeah. at his place on Highway 7 towards Bigger. Wow. So I went every week. Yeah. When I got out of treatment, I asked him if I could keep coming on to, mm-hmm. to, the, to the sweat ceremony because it was just really powerful for yeah. me, very cleansing. It's a powerful ceremony. You know, so yeah, I think I went probably 38 Wednesdays wow, in my man. first year. Yeah. And so that became a really, you know, powerful part of my spiritual mm-hmm. practice. Of course. And to this day, it, 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 I've reconnected with it. Mm-hmm. So years five to eight, yeah. years three to eight, not yeah. once. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then when I got back to Saskatchewan, re-surrendered to the program, I got really connected and made friendships with some guys from northern Saskatchewan. Yeah. Guys that in my first eight years of recovery, mm-hmm. I would have never become friends with them because yeah. they didn't look like me. They didn't dress like me. They were hilly billies. Yeah. My ego was still in the way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a more meaningful surrender the second time around and yeah. all of a sudden I get these amazing relationships with these men that I'm mm-hmm. so solid with. And what do they do? They reconnect me with the elders. Mm-hmm. You know, so a powerful thing was uh, we did a sweat January 1st of 2019. Okay. Yeah. And so I met an elder that day, um, an elder named Sam Badger. And uh, that was just a really powerful connection between him and I. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked the whole day, you know, in between mm-hmm. each each of the breaks and we talked after and to this day we communicate a lot he calls me little brother i call him big brother and he just taught me some things he told me the legend of sweetgrass and it Mm -hmm. just rocked me man to my core Mm -hmm. to my core and you know that you know the legend really for me the lesson that i took out of it is that a everyone and everything has a spirit Mm -hmm. so try not to hurt anyone Mm -hmm. or anything yeah and then to live with intention Mm -hmm. in everything that you do yeah you know, and I think that part of, that's such an inherent part of the program, mm-hmm. the 12-step program, the man. fellowships that, that we belong to. Yeah. And to have it come from, from, a, from a belief system and a culture that really, I think, for me, is so in line with the natural order, yeah. the natural law, yeah. uh, belief system that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just really in this last since since that day we did it another cleanse we did another sweat again this year on January first. Yeah. I asked if we could do another one, yeah. and they said, "Yeah, no problem." And so it just you know we we talk about you know New Year's resolution all this mm-hmm. stuff, but for me there hasn't been a more powerful way to start the day the yeah. year. And then to that lesson, I've been able to carry with me in almost everything that I've done mm-hmm. since that point to a more meaningful degree. Yeah. You know, and so this recovery is about practice. Yeah. It's always about practice. It's about progression. Mm -hmm. You know, we never get this thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so, and I think a a direct consequence of that is like, now I live for being outside. Mm -hmm. Like I've always enjoyed the outdoors, always, but I gave up all those passions and active addiction. Mm -hmm. 
I reconnected with them to a certain degree mm -hmm. in, in recovery, but in earnest in the last couple of years. Yeah. So right. lots has changed then. Eh? Oh, yeah. The last yeah, couple yeah, of years yeah. has been like a like massive. A big, January 1, yeah. 2019, yeah. that day, really, that sweat changed everything. Yeah. yeah. Like, really, it changed everything. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been, you know, in the last few years, like, probably if I pick a single day, it was January mm -hmm. 1st, 2019. Yeah. You know, so just like, yeah, That's I live for getting to the mountains. Yeah. Uh, you know, my gardening, uh, mm -hmm. that intention. Oh, you're a gardener too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You know, and even when, when I was talking to Sam that day and we were talking and I got to understand the intention behind the legend of sweetgrass and mm -hmm. I'll tell it to you some other time. Sure. Um, I was thinking about my garden and mm -hmm. having that conversation with him. Yeah. What kind of intention I'm going to go into it with? Mm -hmm. Because it, you know, in the story of sweetgrass, it talks about you need to prepare yourself, get into a certain spiritual state you mm -hmm. need to pray you need to meditate get into a good place mm -hmm. be thinking well before you go out to pick the sweet grass mm -hmm. and you don't pick it out in a bunch you pick one at a time because mm. you're severing something from mother earth mm -hmm. for your own use yeah for ceremony so that intention mm -hmm. when you burn the sweet grass later all the intention you put into it Come, yeah. goes up to the creator okay that makes sense right yeah so very much. in my garden now Intention when mm -hmm. I plant, yeah, meditating, praying, mm -hmm. setting, getting really connected to that whole cycle. Mm -hmm. When I go to harvest, one leaf at a time. One at a time. Yeah. Wow, man. And it's just it it keeps me more connected. Mm -hmm. How could it not keep you connected, eh? Like, I mean, gardening is like the most direct relation from us to Earth, right? Like, you don't get much closer to the Earth than that like actually helping the earth provide food and the earth is giving us the food. Sustenance for you. And we work together, right? But yeah. really spiritually understanding mm -hmm. and being present and having that intention mm -hmm. through the whole practice from yeah. beginning to end. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that kind of intention, mm -hmm. really that kind of, in, that level of intention. Yeah. But it's, it's, like, it's like the Buddhist, uh, every one step at a time, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. And just, yeah, just, you know, like, I love recovery. You know, mm -hmm. I love it. And it, it, it permeates, it's permeating as I keep moving forward, mm -hmm. more and more areas of my life in a more meaningful way. Yeah. Do I struggle? Do I, am I, do, do I get in the way? Of course I do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No shit. We all do. You know? Right. And it's just like, so how do I create, how, you know, the challenge I think is for all, you know, that I think is like, how do I deepen my connection mm -hmm. to everything around me? Yeah. How do I deepen my connection to everything around me? Mm -hmm. How do I not make it about myself? Mm. And, Get out you know, of and, and yeah. And, and how do I understand the consequences of everything that I do? And just like, yeah, set the intention, mm -hmm. set the intention and yeah. then carry it through. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, compared to my old life, I'm far more reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I start something, I'm more likely, to, <laughs> more finish likely it. to finish it. Yeah. Do I fail sometimes? Yes. Yeah. But, you know, that's not a consistent pattern anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, because you're not giving up anymore, right? That's why, I mean, for me, I used mm -hmm. to fail all the time because I just give up. Yeah. Like it wasn't a matter yeah. of, it wasn't even a matter of failure. It was like to avoid failure, I just give up. Yeah. Right. And, you know, now, like the best thing I like, I love about hiking, mm -hmm. getting to the top of a mountain. Yeah. It takes a degree of perseverance mm -hmm. 
it's challenging physically, mm -hmm. but take, most importantly, it's cha it challenges you mentally. Yep. You got to take one step at a time, one mm -hmm. step at a time, and you get to the top. Yeah. But then it kind of makes everything else that I have to do in my day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life seem a little bit easier. Yeah, of course, man. But that's what people don't understand about discipline in, in general, right? And perseverance is that discipline actually gives us a good life like being disciplined yeah. because it used to mean punishment, right? Yeah. Like that's what it meant for me when I was younger growing up, it was well, all punishment. It. Yeah. Right. But now it's like discipline is freedom. Like yeah. it's literally the opposite end of the spectrum of punishment. It's it like is freedom, liberation, because when you're disciplined in your day to day, you have intention in the things you do, right? The more mindful we are about the things we do, obviously, well, not for everybody, but when you're practicing these principles that we're practicing or trying to practice. Trying to practice. Yeah. yeah. Trying to practice is a much better way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. when we're trying to do that, we almost have a leg up, right? Those of us who were uh, fortunate enough to find our way into 12-step programs. We've almost been given a leg up because we've been giving this very straightforward process, right, of unraveling the onions that we are. Right, as humans and man like you the, the one thing you meant one of the things you mentioned mentioned several things but working with others what some what some young, new people don't understand because when i tell people when i say this to them i say look man you're helping me as much as i'm helping you mm. they think it's lip service mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. but it's not lip service mm -mm. it's not false anything it legitimately when i say it i mean it yeah because getting out of myself to work with someone else allows me to put my own shit in perspective, Big right? Time. And you know as well as I do, perspective is that one thing that we can't get any other way but getting it, yeah. right? Yeah. And to get that new perspective, we have to get out of ourselves yeah. and into, the, into other people, right? Yeah. Um, what, a, what a profound statement you made there, man, yeah. because it just takes us into the next level, yeah. right? No, 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 it, and it's true, and you know, and like, and that's, you know, to your question, you know, what's so different now, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what, yeah, A, understanding for me honestly it's like it's the ability to listen to others mm -hmm. none of it works you know and I, you've heard me say this in meetings before i have a chronically impaired brain yeah yeah it's got serious malware mm -hmm. the operating system that i came into this life with yeah and that i cemented starting with my own decisions at the age of 14 moving mm -hmm. forward yeah created a serious mess I burned it to the ground mm -hmm. in 20 years of actively cementing that process and that mm -hmm. mindset and those thoughts and that way of thinking that mm -hmm. which led to a consistent set of actions, which created nothing but pain and misery and destruction. Yeah. How can that computer system, mm -hmm. how can that operating model be the, the blueprint for change yeah, and yeah. success? Yeah. Impossible. 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 Yeah. I have to have the ability, I have mm -hmm. to cultivate yeah. the ability to listen and take direction mm -hmm. from other human beings yeah. that have found a different operating system, mm -hmm. that have practiced and created new ways of thinking, mm -hmm. which brought new action, mm -hmm. which brought different results. Yeah. If I can't listen to other people, there's mm -hmm. no hope. Mm -hmm. Impossible. Yeah. You know, so... Um, You've also just described one of the reasons why it takes some of us longer for things, right? Is because you said it, you cemented 20 years, cemented these ideas that were not necessarily healthy, right? To uncement those ideas, it takes 
long time on the other end, right? Like, because mm. um, I, I experience this similar to you, like where it's gradual, but then all of a sudden the, the awareness starts coming and, you, and it's like, okay, okay, now I'm starting to get how this works a little bit in terms of the things I need to do, mm-hmm. right? How that those things that we now need to do are actually so effective in keeping us sober, yeah. right? Yeah. And starting to see the connection more. Yeah. Like when I was younger, newer, it was like, okay, I don't get how it works. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to keep coming because I don't yeah. want to drink and I don't yeah. want to use. Yeah. But then we start going through this. Uh, I like how you said it eight years, man, because mine was seven, right? Like yeah. at seven years, I had, yeah. to, I had to surrender again yeah. or I was a dead man, right? Well, like, big time. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so there's these different points of surrender that we reach, I think, along the journey of recovery. And I, I'm, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm happy you're talking about it is because there's people out there that probably think, oh, like after 10 years, it must be easy. Right. And the reality is it's never easy. No, like, no I haven't had an easy year yet. No, no. Right? Like, and 2019 has been the best year of my life. Absolutely. The best year of my life. Yeah. Like hands down. Mm-hmm. They get because, better every like, year. Like yeah. that's mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, the most mm-hmm. amount of serenity and acceptance that I've had of who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Independent of what is happening on the outside. Yeah. And I don't think that's, an accident but i think to your point about 12 steps so i have a lot of meaningful relationships in recovery but i also mm-hmm. have a lot of amazing meaningful relationships with people outside of recovery yeah and it's so interesting how many of my friends that aren't in recovery mm-hmm. come to me this is the crazy like honestly yeah. like when you want to talk the thing the message used to be stay away from daniel mm-hmm Consistently. Yeah. As my addiction progressed, everybody in my life, mm-hmm. stay away from him. Yeah. Stay away from him. And it's not an egotistical thing, but it's just mm-hmm. a reflection on the reality now. Mm-hmm. Today, there's a lot of people in my life, mm-hmm. there's a people that I don't even know that yeah. send people to come talk to me mm-hmm. to, to maybe talk about things. Yeah. Point them in the right direction. Yeah. Last week, two really close friends have opened up to me about things mm-hmm. that they're struggling with. Isn't that something, man? And it's like, and what's the answers that I give, the, mm-hmm. the solutions? It's all based on the 12-step work. Yeah. And I know. I wish everybody could do a tw- set of 12 steps. Yeah, me too. Addict or not everybody. addict, alcoholic yeah. or not addict. So-called yeah. normies, which I don't like that term. Yeah, because we know people yeah, are People normal. are just human beings. Yeah, we're just humans. But as far as like, you know, we take, if I look at step eight, mm-hmm. I remember coming into the program, going to meetings, going to meetings, all of a sudden yeah. the steps, you know, step eight says, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I'm going, what does this have to do with drug addiction? Yeah. Yeah. Why do I have to do that? Yeah, seeing the correlation's hard, right? Yeah. Like, why? Mm-hmm. And then you do it, you store, you, all the steps get you there, mm-hmm. and then you understand. Like, for me, I talked about the three emotional mm-hmm. glues, ingredients of my, of my self-constructed prison mm-hmm. emotionally were fear, shame, and guilt. Yeah. The fear, shame, and the guilt were a direct consequence of the people that I had harmed in my life, mm-hmm. in what I had done, and in what I had failed to do. Yeah. Which was the step 
that dissected and obliterated that fear, that shame, and the guilt based on mm-hmm. my interactions with other human beings. It was step yeah. eight. That list and then the consequent willingness mm-hmm. to make amends for every single person I had harmed in my life, yep. it freed me. Right. It, those were the spiritual mechanics contained in that step. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to go and face everybody yep. that I had constructed a demon out of. Mm-hmm. Me. Yeah, and then after you, you face them, how, how easy is it then to take accountability with everyone else, right? Once we face those demons, right? So, yeah. Yeah. If everybody in life could, could do that step. Yeah. As an example, as yeah. one example. But that's a, that's a great example because eight and nine literally shift a person's ability to interact honestly with people With other now. human beings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just, it, it blew my brain out of the water when I actually started doing it the right way. Yeah. Amazing. You know, so yeah, I mean, yeah, we're blessed, man. We're so blessed. And so that's that, you know, to that, to, to, to just to bring back to that point earlier. Yeah. Yeah. If my parents would have gone the call, mm-hmm. I cheated death. If I, if I, if life was fair and I got what I deserve, bro, yeah. I shouldn't be here, you know, and I'm, and I'm not just saying that. No, I hear you, man. A few overdoses, mm-hmm. you know, a couple gunshots fired my way, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of crazy shit. Um, but the reality is my disease didn't take me out. Mm-hmm. It takes out countless thousands every day. Mm-hmm. You and I get to see people who struggle. Yeah. You know, the obsession was lifted years ago, almost immediately mm-hmm. for me. Me too. But, um, the fact that, you know, this disease didn't kill me. Yeah. I'm alive today and I have this program, this set of 12 steps that just allow me to deal with anything yeah. that comes up. Yeah. You know, which is awesome. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm never, I, I, I'll say people say, don't, it's, we, we talk about in the program, it's a daily thing. You mm-hmm. make that commitment daily and you do. Yep. But I'm one of those guys that says I'm never using dope. I'm mm-hmm. never drinking again. Yeah. Cause when I run, I just run. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. I know I have another relapse in me for yeah. sure. Do I have another recovery? That's the crapshoot, right? right? I'm not going there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. So I have to tell myself never. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, the complete transformation in thought. Yes. The complete transformation. Mm-hmm. I used to think and be proud of the yeah. fact that I used dope mm-hmm. and drank and partied. Yeah. I used to have, I, that was an, a, a, a badge. Mm-hmm. I'm going to smoke weed till I die. I used yeah. to, that dude, I, I used to say that. That was a cemented fact of my belief system. Mm-hmm. The fact now that I have a brain that says, I'm not one of those guys, and I hear it often in the rooms. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, man, it'd be so nice to take that first drink. Or it'd be nice to have that. I'd love to do it. I struggle with it. Ten years in. F- Never, bro. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but like, I stopped smoking ten years ago. Mm-hmm. People go, oh, I, I smell the cigarette and oh, it smells so good. Yeah. It's reviling to me. Yeah, man. To smell cigarette smoke. Yeah. Disgusting. I quit almost six years ago. Yeah. The same thought thing. of using anything mm-hmm. is disgusting to me. Yeah. Disgusting. That's a good feeling. And yeah, that's a complete transformation in yeah. a state of mind. What do they call that? The fundamental alteration, right? Of our of our God, I can't even remember the quote, but... A completely different way of thinking about one thing. Yeah. That's a miracle. It's because your software is turning around now, right? 
Yeah. A different operating system. Yeah. Yep. A different operating system. 100%. And it's not mine. Well, I mean, it's it's yours and creators, right? Well, like, because we have to work with creators. Of course. You know? Of and, course. Yeah. 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 There's a, it's a two-part relationship. Yeah. And, you know, there's this thing, though, sometimes, because I'm a God-praying dude every day, all day. But the reality is, is that we do have to participate, right? And that's the one thing where I got this question a few years ago from a guy I was working with, and he goes, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, sit cross-legged in my apartment and do nothing. And I said, do you believe that that is what anyone would want of you? And he said, well, no. And I'm like, well, then don't do that. <laughs> like, do it if, it if you need it, but then get out of the house because we have to incorporate, like, this stuff into living. Right? Freedom, well, listen, it's a two-way relationship. We have to be responsible. Listen, I didn't get here because I didn't do anything. Exactly, yeah. I didn't get here, you know, like, yeah. you know, there's my, the universe works with me if I work with the universe, mm -hmm. but I got to work. Yeah. The creator, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, yeah. doesn't pay my rent. Nope. Doesn't pay my insurance. Doesn't go to work for me. God, that'd um, be nice. You know, but like, no, there's a piece of literature that, that, that I use in doing step works. It's a piece of literature called It Works How and Why. Mm -hmm. And there's a segment in step, in step three that I always go to when I, I'm working with a sponsee and they say, what does it mean to turn it over? Mm -hmm. How do I practice God's will? What's this higher will? How, what, yeah. what does it mean? What does God, what's God's will for me? Mm -hmm. And there's a sentence, it's so simple. And I can understand it. Mm -hmm. Your higher power's will is for you to take care of your emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. Yeah. I can get that. Dude, I like that. That is the simplest I've ever heard. That is, for me, that's step yeah. three. Yeah. You know, that higher consciousness. Yeah that we're all striving for, yeah. be it God, the universe, the creator, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. your higher power wants you to take care of your mental, mm -hmm. physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Mm -hmm. And that requires action. Action, yeah. So my higher power doesn't want me eating poutine all day. Mm -hmm. My higher power doesn't want mm -hmm. me sleep until 11 a.m. My higher power doesn't want me up till 3 in the morning playing video games. My higher power wants me to exercise to take mm -hmm. care of my body. Yeah. Wants me to put good, healthy food mm -hmm. in me. Yeah. Wants me to pray. Wants me to meditate. Wants me to connect with others. Mm -hmm. Wants me to help other people. Mm -hmm. Wants me to work. Wants, to be, wants me to be ambitious. Yep. There's, there's lots of parts to it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if I do the things where I'm taking care of healthy decisions for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, he looked for the window and I thought someone was standing there. Okay. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, though. You know, so what people couldn't hear was the sound of boink was me stealing your idea that you just shared. <laughs> yeah, about the higher power's will for us. Yeah, that's that, that's the simplest it's way for so me to understand it. Beautiful, like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Take care I'm of totally your, stealing. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really simple. <laughs> it is. Because there's like a, a quote from the Bible, and we have to, I, I hate to wrap this up because I love talking to no, you. No, no, no. Wrap it but up. But we have another person coming yeah, in a bit. But, perfect. Um, there's a quote in the Bible about God's will, and it says, God's will is for us to pray without ceasing, always be grateful, and give thanks for everything. So everything, that, so that, that's from the Bible, which don't get me wrong, yeah. I don't adhere to that yeah. very closely, obviously. But there's lots of good stuff in the Bible. There's lots of good stuff, man. Lots of good principles, lots of good stories. And of course. Man, I love a good story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, so that, that God's will is much simpler, though, even when you break it down even more. Because what if you don't, what if you're not able to pray? What if you don't really connect to that God thing? Yeah. 
but you can still connect to take care of your mental, your emotional, your spiritual, and your physical health, right? Because to me, those are like the principles that come out of the steps, right? Those, yeah. That idea is something you can do whether you're an atheist or not, right? And I mean, because we know there's lots of people that struggle with the God yeah. thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And for lots of good reasons. People yeah. have really good reasons yeah. for it. Sometimes it's just plain ignorance, right? In yeah. my case, lots of it was ignorance. Yeah. Um, but once we can break through that to what you're getting at, the what that book, from the book, right? Yeah, it works out. It, it works how and why. Yeah, it works how and why from another fellowship. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so that that is like a simple way because I like to when I work with atheists, I always just pull the principles out and we work on the principles. Well, that's it, right? Like, that's it because it's there for everyone. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Um, and okay, just like really quickly. Yeah. So, in active addiction. Yeah. What did I do? I destroyed my mental, physical, yeah. spiritual, and emotional well-being mm-hmm. every day. Every day. I did, I, I was subservient to a lower destructive power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not take, like, I actually poisoned all those mm-hmm. four areas of my life. In yeah. recovery, what am I doing? What am I trying to do? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be positive in those four areas of my life. Yeah. And in doing so, I'm operating at a higher frequency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? This thing that we do, mm-hmm. recovery, the 12-step programs that we go to, for me, very simple. Mm-hmm. You go to a place where there's people operating on, on a better frequency. Yeah. Yeah. Whether that's God or not, who knows? Well, yeah, but the frequency, right? Like that's, that's it's a different frequency. At. That's right. It's a higher frequency. Yeah. It's not that animal base level bullshit that I used to live by. Yeah. The amygdala frequency. Yeah. Daniel, thank you so much, man. Thank so you. Before we close, I yep. want to, I'd like to get you to close us. Like, but the question I usually ask is if you could say one thing to somebody out there, Mind you, what you just said was pretty good. <laughs> so if you could say one thing to somebody out there, maybe they're like you were. What's something that you that you would have like, you could have needed to hear before that guy said that in, after the meeting, right? When he said like, did you ever wonder why they're so mad, right? Like something like that. Is there something that goes through your head? Yeah, honestly, for anybody that's out there, man, you know, um, the big realization now, I think, the the thing that I keep awakening to mm-hmm. is when I look back over the years when I lived in active addiction yeah and even in recovery through dark times where I was disconnected mm-hmm. the fear the reality of my life mm-hmm. the reality of other people's lives yeah the reality of my, all my relationships, there's a reality there. Mm-hmm. But if I'm trapped alone, yeah. isolated, in any given situation, addict or not, mm-hmm. especially if you're living in active addiction and alcoholism, yeah. you're isolated. Yeah. And the conversations and the, are always between your two ears in your brain. Mm-hmm. It's never really what's happening. Yeah. So if you can just understand that whatever you fear, whatever you feel shameful about, Mm. whatever you feel guilty about, whatever you feel not good enough about, it's really not real because Mm -hmm. it's a conversation that you're having by yourself. Yeah. And the easiest way, the most effective way, to escape that mindset and to really start to see things 
as they are mm -hmm. is to talk to other human beings. Yeah. Talk to somebody. Yeah. Talk to somebody. Well said, man. Let somebody know mm -hmm. what's going on between your ears. Yeah. Let somebody know. Yeah. And you'll see, you'll, they'll, A, you don't have to experience that reality by yourself. Yeah. And, but then you have a different reference point mm -hmm. that can start showing you that it's different, that yeah. it doesn't have to be that way, that it may not even be the case. Yeah. Yeah, but you just said it, man. If you can see that there, it doesn't have to be that way, right? Yeah. Yeah, just talk to somebody. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the power of this program. That's the power of, I think, life in general. A lot of people go through life not having anybody to talk to. Mm -hmm. Right, people suffer yeah. alone, and my disease I know wanted me alone. Yeah, and the and, and the most important thing is that I've been able to connect with other human beings, mm -hmm. like really connect with other human beings. Yeah, and really let them know what's going on inside, mm -hmm. and uh, listen, and then listen, listen, listen. You know, sometimes be be there for people. You know, because mm. people have been there for me. You know, but just yeah, talk to somebody, man. Talk to somebody. Yeah, let them know what's going on and. Um, they can, they can, you know, give you a, a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. You're welcome, David. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah. I hope I made sense. Yeah, you did. Yeah. That was awesome, man. Cool. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts. <music>